Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, this is Joe Lynch from Logistics of Logistics. Welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm going to talk with Andrew Kelly. Say hello, Andrew. Hello, everybody. And we're going to be talking about, is PowerLoop, which is a new Uber division, is it good for the freight business? So the title, is PowerLoop good for the freight business with Andrew Kelly? Before we get started, Andrew, you're a very impressive guy. Please tell us a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? That kind of stuff. Sure. So I grew up on a farm in Maryland, you know, went to school on the East Coast, you know, NC State, MIT, and Harvard Business. School and you know love the freight business. I've been spending all my time there. We should have a separate podcast on how I get my kid into NC State, MIT, then Harvard. But then we'll talk about that <laughs> later. So, so um, Andrew, how did you get into the freight business? Tell us your first jobs in that business. Yeah, so probably you know growing up on a farm, you know, it was a working produce farm. You know, driving a truck from the eastern shore of Maryland to Jessup was my first kind of you know truck driving job. I also worked for a summer for the North Carolina Department of Transportation, hauling aggregate. Also worked on a loading dock. But, you know, I'm a technologist. And most recently, I spent some time at a, you know, high quality telematics company that is, you know, private equity backed. And just think that there's just so much innovation and opportunity in the entire transportation, logistics, supply chain sector that is just very appealing for me for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, well, it sounds like, yeah. It sounds like you've got both the high tech, high value MBA uh, version of uh, our business, but also the picking up the freight and putting it on a truck part of it too, which is. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> you learn lessons both places. <laughs> For sure. That's absolutely correct. Perhaps that's why you went to all that education after you moved that freight. <laughs> so tell us about what you're doing now. Yeah. So I spend all my time in the supply chain and logistics area because I think it's I think it's fascinating. I think there are many opportunities. I think there is opportunity for even more efficiency. You know, the fact that 80% of goods in the U.S. move, you know, on the ground as opposed to air, ocean, and rail makes it a highly relevant sector. You know, a a lot of the things that we take for granted in our daily lives get moved around via truck, even by, you know, global 50 companies that are, you know, very sophisticated in their overall supply chain needs and ground execution is just one piece of that. I think that the entire sector is you know very interesting, and so I spent all my time you know talking to executives, talking to ops managers, talking to you know people in the space because I think it's a very interesting sector. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because I know you, you've got your finger on the pulse of the industry. So we wanted to talk about Power Loop, which is a new division, I believe, at Uber, right? And you have a pretty good broad view of this industry, so I wanted to talk to you about the implications of this. So could you give us a little background on what is Power Loop, and then? What are the implications for the business we're in? Sure. So, you know, Power Loop is a new offering from Uber Freight, and Uber Freight got launched by Uber maybe a couple of years ago. I happened to be at CSCMP Edge down in Florida, I think it was, where, you know, some of the um, ex auto guys, as you may recall, Uber picked up auto in order to try and a bit of a head start on the autonomous vehicle space. And inside of that effort, Uber Freight was an attempt to, you know, get after the on-demand or crowdsourced or Uber for trucking marketplace. 
And Power Loop, I think, is a direct extension of that because effectively it's a trader leasing business. And I, I think that the potentially brilliant part of it for someone like Uber Freight or Uber who doesn't have a lot of pre-existing shipper relationships is it allows them to participate in the industry without trying to either fight for existing shipper relationships that brokers and 3PLs already have or to you know build up that book of business from nearly scratch because that's very challenging to do. And so PowerLoop allows for you know power-only units to kind of drop and hook the trailers that, are, that can be pre-filled and kind of bumping the dock and just ready to go. And the advantage for a carrier and a driver in particular is you don't have to wait for the loading and unloading. So even if it only takes an hour or two, that's an hour or two where potentially you're not making money and 20 or $30 worth of detention time is not going to cut it in terms of, re- in terms of compensating you, you know, for that lost income because you know, the vast majority of drivers are not hourly you know, and they get paid per mile. So it's definitely good for the carrier, very good for the drivers, which is obviously those are very positive in this environment. What about shippers? Is this good for them? Well, it should be, right? So right now, shippers and carriers are in a bit of a supply-demand imbalance where shippers are having to pay up because there are constraints on supply, right? So when that happens and shippers have to pay up, you know, some of the consumer packaged goods companies, some of the food and beverage companies that, you know, we all consume. So think you know, Kellogg's and Heinz and Pepsi, et cetera. So those companies are having to pay more for transportation, which eventually will kind of trickle down to us as consumers. And so the more drivable hours there are in the industry, the less those shippers can pay for transportation and somewhat can offset that inflationary pressure on upward wages. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that clearly there is a case to be made that drivers are underpaid in many different instances. So I'm that I am uh, either for or against you know, changes in driver's pay, but I'm just talking about it from a broader macroeconomic perspective. Shippers should potentially benefit if there are more drivable hours in the overall day based on more trailers that are ready to you know, drop and hook to to move from point A to point B in the overall ecosystem. Oh, makes sense. Makes sense. So just Give us a little uh, feel for what's the overall landscape of tractors and trailers? What's out there? Sure. So in the U.S., there's probably about 20 million commercial vehicles overall, of which 3.6 million of those are big rigs. You know, more technically, these are called class eight vehicles. The class system refers to the gross vehicular weight that a you know tractor trailer in most states in the U.S. That's about an 80,000 pound limit. and Relative to those 3.6 million tractors that are out there, there's probably almost 3x as the number of trailers that are out there. And, you know, your typical trailer, so these are dry vans, flatbeds, step decks, reefers, or refrigerated trailers. You know, there's probably about 10 million or so of those out there in the world. And so, you know, I think at first blush, people might think that, well, wait a minute, if there's that many trailers out there, then why do we need a trailer leasing solution? On top of that, and I think one of the reasons that we might need a trailer leasing solution is because it's very hard and complicated for, let's say, carrier A to figure out how to lease or allow carrier B to kind of tap into some of their empty trailer capacity. Because, yes, they may be at a yard, but trailer B is someplace else, keeping tabs on where that trailer is, doing the swapping back and forth. That's very, very complicated for any one carrier to try to set up on their own. But having a third party 
who is maybe Power Loop is, you know, becomes the champion of this, who is able to oversee the moves between different trailers, particularly if they own the trailers, right? That's an easier proposition for carrier A and carrier B to take advantage of because the administrative hassle is removed from them, even if they have to pay up for that rental. That makes sense. And, and I think, you know, when you think about Uber, a lot of it the, with their ride sharing business, where they come from, it really is about the sharing economy. And I think, how often do I actually drive my car? I have a car, but I, I don't drive it nearly as much as I think I should or would. And vacation homes, all that. So I think it makes sense that the trailers, even though there's a lot more of them than trucks, they're in the wrong place or underutilized. That's exactly right. And a lot of the logistics business is about having the right asset in the right place at the right time. And that will be increasingly true because, you know, one of the things that's happening is, you know, the e-commerce effect where Amazon and Walmart's Jet.com and other e-commerce initiatives is trying to push inventory closer and closer to office parks, residential communities, and other places. And in order to, to do that, you need more moves, right? And so as you need more moves, you're going to need more trailers, right? And so you know, maybe there's a part of the market that kind of moves from, you know, your traditional 53-foot dry band down to, you know, a 23-foot double pup so that you have the ability to kind of break inventory down into smaller and smaller chunks. But increasingly, this market is moving from the ability to track a trailer to the ability to track a package, right? And right. I think that overall, having more capacity in the marketplace is going to be beneficial. Now, you know, what is the nature of that capacity? I'm not sure we can figure that out right now, but the increased ability to have more moves in a day, in a month, that should benefit the overall industry, both carriers and shippers. And of course, on the B2C side, consumers. Yep. So we talked a little bit of this, obviously a positive thing we think for carriers, for drivers, for shippers. What about a 3PL or freight brokerage. Is this a positive thing for them too? I think it is, right? Because, you know, freight brokers that I've talked to and, you know, you can look at the the large players that are out there in the marketplace all the way down to like a little five-person shop, right? You know, what they're trying to do is leverage their lack of capacity by being able to tap into their personal relationships and the small fleets that they have that can help cover loads for them. And the closer they can, particularly the smaller ones, the closer that they can represent that they can almost guarantee capacity or that they have dedicated or near dedicated capacity, the easier it is for them to work directly with shippers and increasingly larger shippers. And so that may change the game for some of the smaller players out there. And I guess the converse of that is it could be increasingly competitive for, let's call it the top 10 or 25, you know, freight brokers that are out there in the world. But I think that Increased competition, increased investments in technology is a tie that lifts all boats in this sector. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and I, can, I could see it both ways also. Is I could see where you know, one of the bigger freight brokerages could say, yeah, we've got 25,000 trailers in that region, so we're going to be a better option. But I can also see uh, you know, a smaller freight broker, 3PL, saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to add to our service offering. And let's face it, we all have to become better and better every day to keep in business. We'll get right back to the podcast in just a moment. If you sell transportation or logistics services, the Logistics of Logistics can help you sell more. Our customized program will help you understand your sales personality, including your strengths and blind spots, get more sales leads, and improve your communication and salesmanship. 
We can also position you as a recognized industry expert and help you reach your target audience. To learn more, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And now, back to the show. Next question, and I, I know you're uh, close to this. I know you're not an ELD expert, but I know you're very close to it, the, uh, the implications of it. Do you think that the ELD mandate influenced the creation of PowerLoop? I think it's entirely possible. ELDs or electronic logging devices have been in use for a long time, right? Obviously, in December 2017, with the FMCSA or Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration mandating that they were going to have to be in place for everyone, somewhat leveled the playing field for different carriers, but also constrained capacity a little bit more, right? So, you know, on the margin, those drivers that were using, you know, paper logs and a pencil have fewer hours to drive. And so net-net, the overall number of driverable hours decline, right? And clearly, there are a number of folks that are you know, trying to make the argument that the reason that the cost of freight is surging right now, as it has been for the last year or so, is you know, directly correlated to the ELD mandate. I think that's part of it, or all of it. But anyway, the more drivable hours there are in a day, the better off everyone is, Right. And because detention time for certain shippers can be extremely high, you know, I, I've heard, you know, I go to a truck stop and sometimes I, you know, I just talk to truck drivers about kind of what they're doing, why they're hanging out. And like, you know, frankly, you know, why are they, you know, watching an entire football game at a truck stop? And it's because, you know, they, they literally have hours before they can get loaded out. And it's not necessarily because, you know, they missed their arrival window or, you know, didn't schedule an appointment to bump a dock. Some warehouses are just busy. You know, and that backup has a trickle effect. And it's particularly sometimes later in the day, things get backed up to the point where a driver can spend four to six hours just waiting for, you know, his or her truck to get loaded. And, and that's a problem because, you know, great thing you can kind of catch that football game, but it's not making any money, you know. And so having a leasing solution that potentially allows them to minimize detention time and increase their drivable hours could partially offset some of those constraints that may have come from the ELD mandate in December 2017. Yep. And I think the whole industry recognizes that being a truck driver has gotten very difficult over the years. There's a lot more requirements that are out there and it's gotten to be painful. I mean, no wonder people aren't going into it. And I think if we're going to grow the driver (laughs) force, we're going to have to perhaps pay better, but we're also going to have to add some respect to it. It's disrespectful to say, get here after you drive eight hours, you shouldn't be unloaded on a timely basis. We have the technology at this point to start doing a little better planning. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, the fact that there is a driver shortage of at least 50,000, you know, growing to 150,000, you know, over time, you know, the, the fact that, you know, the average driver is probably about 52 years old and he or she may struggle to actually, you know, make ends meet, even though they may drive you know, 2,000, you know, 2,500 miles a week is kind of a crazy thing, you know, and particularly for those, you know, over the road, long haul drivers who are away from their families for 80% of the week, you know, that's not a great overall experience. Now, you know, private fleet drivers have it a little bit better, you know, pickup and delivery drivers have it a little bit better because they get to go home at night, they get to see their family at night, they get to sleep in their own bed at night, right? And so the turnover for, you know, those drivers is far below 70 to 80% turnover that there is in the over the market, but it still is, you know, a very challenging job for multiple reasons because, you know, your, your average, you know, UPS or FedEx driver may make a hundred stops in a day, right? Which, 
you know, doesn't seem like a lot, but like, you know, rucking in and out of that truck, in and out of the back of the truck, in and out of buildings, like all day. <laughs> Trust me, some of these guys are telling me they easily get in 10 or 12,000 steps every single day without even trying. <laughs> yeah. And, and those are going up and down stairs a lot of times. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. A few years back, I was spending time trying to make a deal between two trucking companies, very large trucking companies. One was going to share some dedicated assets and with the other. And the first 40 minutes of our two hour meeting was spent talking about how both companies want to do better for drivers. So there is a real drive to do better. I think this potentially is one of those things that actually makes it better because hopefully there's more drop and hook freight. Yeah, which which would be a beautiful thing. I think that, you know, like all, you know, innovations, I, I think that you know, having a customer first mentality and having a pragmatic approach to deployment is, is essential because going back to the concept of the right asset in the right place at the right time, you know, there are natural pockets of freight in the U.S. And typically they're clustered around interstates. You know, if you just look at a map of the interstates in the U.S., you know, you could overlay kind of the freight arteries or the freight volume in the U.S., and so, you know, I would hope that the initial deployments, and I think PowerLoop is you know, starting in Texas, which is great, right? I think there's more owner ops in Texas than any other state. You know, it, it's it, obviously there's a very large landmass. You've got a lot of interstates that kind of come in and out uh, of the state. You've got you know, many uh, major cities from Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, and, and Austin. And so I think that's a good start, right? And then thinking about where the other natural dense lanes are in the U.S. and kind of expanding on learnings from Texas and moving to those other places I think that's an intelligent way to figure out how to get the kinks out of the model and to listen to shippers, listen to carriers, listen to 3PLs, listen to brokers, and kind of take that feedback and improve the model before it kind of rolls out, you know, nationally. So to me, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that this will, you know, benefit the drivers the most, but also have, you know, positive impacts for, you know, shippers and consumers and people that need to purchase freight as well. So, Andrew, I know this is something that Uber is doing. Do you envision other freight brokerage, I'm assuming larger ones, doing investing in the same way and buying trailers? I think it's possible. One of the challenges right now is just like with tractors, the ability to actually buy a trailer is really tough because, you know, there's, there's this increasing backlog for assets as the supply and demand imbalance is kind of going on for so long. You know, the trailer manufacturers like, you know, Wabash and others are struggling to keep up with the demand. And so that's a good thing, you know, net for the industry. But, you know, in terms of, you know, purchasing trailers, prices are going to start to eke up as are delivery times. Right. And so I think that brokers and 3PLs will just have to be careful about taking advantage of the opportunity. And, you know, one way for them to, you know, figure out if this would be a good model for them is to just try out power loop, right? Now, I'm not endorsing one thing, you know, any one path over the other, but, you know, there's, there's a way to kind of think about moving into a new sector. And, you know, I put on my product manager hat and I think about, can you build, can you buy, can you partner, right? So can you build it yourself, right? So you, like you said, you got there, you, know, you buy some trailers and you figure out how you can, you know, make those available kind of out there in the wild. Now you'll need some trailer track, you'll need some, and at least administration, you, you'll need some basic basic infrastructure in order to make it happen, right? You know, could you could you buy something like this? Well, I don't think there's anything available that you could actually buy. <laughs> yes, there are trailer leasing companies and there are trailer rental companies, but not the model that we're really talking about here. And then partner, right? 
partnering would be sign up a lease with someone like PowerLoop or, or similar and try to figure it out. And I think on a company by company basis, people will kind of figure out their own kind of, you know, build versus partner approach based on the technical resources they have in house, based on kind of the projections of the amount of business that they think this could, you know, generate for them and based on, you know, their own appetite for, you know, delving into something that's a little bit new. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you think about very simplistic. I'm a freight broker or I'm non-asset or I'm asset-based. And now there's asset light. This has one more thing. And I always feel like the terms are 3PL, freight broker, trucking company. They're so overlapping now. (laughs) This is just making it a little harder. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, for sure, I think a fair number of asset-heavy carriers out there also have substantial brokerage businesses, right? And I think the reason is that you know, if you've got a global 50 or global 100 shipper and you want to continue to have that customer, if you don't have an asset in the right place at the right time, being able to call a friend and provide the ground execution that's needed in the moment, that's very important. And so that's the practical reality, I think, for a lot of carriers today. And so I, I think the concept of bridging someone else's assets already exists in asset-based businesses today. So I don't think it's that much of a leap. I think that what's a little bit different is just the, the, the model for it, being a third party as opposed to being inside the existing network of kind of broker relationships that Carrier already has. But I think that this could be just one more relationship. So it's a little complicated, but I think that there are precedents in the space for asset-heavy providers tapping into asset light providers and vice versa. Yeah, makes sense. Andrew, so I know we touched on this a little bit here and there, but I was hoping you could talk about what are the benefits in general to the the industry? Yeah. So I think that in general, the the number one benefit I'm, I'm hoping is that the number of drivable hours increases, right? So that's positive for drivers who have to spend a lot less time being detained, which is not good for them, is frustrating, destroys kind of quality of life for a, a number of different reasons. It should benefit shippers because they are able to get more goods out to their end market, right? And of course, that should increase the number of moves that can be made, you know, in any given, you know, transportation day, right? And so I, I think overall, those are the, the key positives and benefits from the solution. Now that has to be, you know, balanced against the cost of this. You know, my experience has been that, you know, in this industry in general, you know, customers look at things like ROI and payback, right? And generally speaking, you know, ROI on using something like this, my expectation would be people would be looking for at least three to one, you know, in terms of I put a dollar in, I get $3 out and then payback 12 months at the outset, probably six months more realistic. But the sooner the payback of that initial investment, and remember, that could be an investment of time and money, right? I think people most often think about only the hard money investment, but there's, there's substantial you know, time that goes into thinking about this and thinking about the implications of this for your business and maybe even changing workflows a little bit, right? There's a cost that can be ascribed to that as well in the overall ROI and payback equation. And so I think as people think about this, they have to you know, think about 
both sides of the cost and the benefit in order to figure out if it's really going to work for them. And, you know, I've done some kind of back of the envelope math, nothing that's kind of worth sharing. People can kind of do their own math. And I think that the benefits outweigh the cost here under many different circumstances. That's excellent. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise and your insights into this. To wrap this up, do you have any final comments? And and then also, if you don't mind, how would we connect with you if we were interested, if someone from the audience wanted to connect? Sure. In terms of final thoughts, I, I think I've shared the most salient points about the effort. I would say that, again, um, all innovation and ideas that come into the supply chain and logistics market, you know, that's a tie that lifts all boats. And so I think that's just a net positive. I think that moving down a click or two from there, it goes into the tactical, show me the money, right? So show me that the benefits outweigh the cost and kind of doing some back of the, back of the envelope math on a case-by-case basis for you know different carriers and 3PLs and brokers out there. And then to your second question, how can people reach me? People can just feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's Andrew Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y. Yeah. And Andrew, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the podcast notes. So hopefully you get some connections. That's what you want. (laughs) And again, thank you so much for sharing with us. Because again, it's I've thought it'd be great to get someone from PowerLoop, but obviously they're a little biased towards it. You've got a great sense for where the industry is going. You got your finger on the pulse. So it's always good to hear what you have to say. And hopefully you'll come back. Maybe you can share with us how uh, how to get into Harvard and MIT and NC State. <laughs> but if not, maybe you can share some more about the industry. Always great to hear from an expert like yourself. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Thank you for having me. I, you know, I'm passionate about this topic and about the sector. So, you know, I'm always eager to talk to you about whatever I can do to shed light on the sector. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Until next time, see you soon. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.